0: Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Tabin Kosio, and I'm an elder here at Community Bible Church. Um, I will be giving today's message standing in for Pastor Bob DuPar, who is out on sabbatical. Um, If you heard Bob talk, you've heard him say that he grew up in Santa Barbara. Well, I too grew up in Santa Barbara like him. I'm not quite sure where Pastor Bob lies in the order of his siblings, but I'm the youngest of seven kids. Um, you know, I had both parents at my house, um, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, so I spent a lot of time with her. My dad uh, was a construction worker in the, Indian, in the unionized construction industry, um, and I had a great childhood. Um, I loved my dad. He was a construction worker. Um, he worked with really awesome equipment, tractors, dump trucks, jackhammers, big pieces of lumber that I just loved being around. And he'd bring those pieces of equipment or that uh, lumber home sometimes, and I'd get to play on it. And um, if I was lucky, he'd take me out to the field uh, or the dump. And I'd be in that, in that dump truck, and he'd let me press that red button to lift the, tail, uh, the bed and, and dump the, the, the load. Um, and I remember uh, he had a lunch pail, those old-style lunch pails that were aluminum, right? And you'd flip them open, and the thermos would be on the top, and you'd put your food on the bottom. Well, I had, a, I had one identical to his. And so my dad, as a construction worker, would leave our house fairly early, between 6, thirty in the morning. So I'd get up with him, and I'd be in the kitchen with him and my mom, and my mom would pack him his lunch, and she would pack me my lunch. And he'd grab his hard hat, and he'd walk out that door, and I'd be right behind him with my lunchbox, you know. And he'd get into his truck and go off to his work site. My work site was my front yard, Right. And uh, I would sit down and I would work in my Tonka trucks and I would dig holes for about 15 minutes and I'd go lunch break. So I'd go to my, my lunchbox it, and eat my lunch, go back to bed and wait for my dad to come home. You know, that was how much I loved my dad. I wanted to imitate him. I wanted to be like him. When I turned five, it was time for me to go to school. So I uh, got ready for kindergarten. And like most kids, my, my parents took me uh, clothes shopping. <clears throat> Another aspect of me uh, getting ready for kindergarten was to have some basic English language lessons. We were a Spanish-speaking house, and Spanish was my first and only language. Until really, I started public school. And so in Santa Barbara in 1979, there was no bilingual education or two-way language immersion programs. You know, so if I was going to go to school, I needed to learn English, so my, my sister... Uh, My older sister, she was kind. She says, I'm going to teach you a couple of uh, phrases, a couple of dialogue exchanges to help you on your first day. I was like, awesome. They were pretty simple. First one was, what's your name? Tabin Kosia. Got this. Second one, how old are you? I'm five years old. I got this. Right? So the first day of school came. Off to school I went, and the kids were filing into class. I was, you know, going into my class. There's a teacher at the door greeting us. Right? And sure enough, my turn cam- comes, and my teacher says, Well, hello there, what's your name? And very proudly, I say, Five years old. <laughs> she looks at me a little faze, but continues, And how old are you? Not so confidently. Uh, to being cozy, you know, not sure who I was. And so I say that, and I share that with you now. And it's funny, right? It's cute. But as a kid trying to fit in, it was devastating. Because me being different, me being not of that culture that was around me, had consequences. Some of those consequences were I was held back in kindergarten so that I could gain greater proficiency in the English language. Because I guess the rigors of first grade required that. right? Um, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't make friends very easily. Right? It was hard for me to connect with people because of my differences. And so I was confronted with this choice of maintaining my identity that up to that point had been rooted in the Mexican culture or leave that and assimilate to the culture that was around me. Choose one, but I couldn't do both. So at the age of five, I was confronted with this question of who am I? And I embarked on this journey of trying to figure out who I am. And it's a, it's a question that I struggled to answer for a very long time. And as I got older, that question of who am I became more complicated. And because it became more complicated, how I responded to that question, the consequences of that response also became greater. If you were here on July 8th uh, for Rand's message on the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you'll recall that who am I? Is one of the questions that Rand challenged us with. He also challenged us with the question of <clears throat> um, who is ruling my life and am I open or am I closed to the leading of the Holy Spirit? So today's message topic is the transforming work or the transforming power of the Holy Spirit. And I want to begin my message today by. Exploring that question, that last question, a little bit further. Am I open or am I closed to the leading of the Holy Spirit? Because inherent in that question is, is a choice that we must make. Am I open or am I closed? It's not a yes or no question. I must choose one or the other, but I can't choose both. Right? So our, message, our one of the key mess, uh, verses for today's message is Romans 12, 2. And says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here we have the same issue of choice, as with Rand's question, right? Choice number one, conform to the patterns of this world, or choice number two, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If I go with choice number one, and conform to this world, then I am closed to the Holy Spirit. And anything I do from that moment forward drives me further from God, or at best, does not bring me closer to him. Because those are worldly pursuits. Choice number two, being transformed by the renewing of your mind, my mind. Then I must totally surrender myself to the leading of the Holy Spirit and forego the worldly pursuits. Choose one, or the other, but I cannot do both. If you go to Galatians five, verses sixteen to fifteen—sorry, uh, sixteen to seventeen—I'm I'm in the New International Version. Galatians five sixteen to seventeen. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. For the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to sinful nature. They are in conflict with each other. So here, Paul, or the Bible, is clearly saying that if you pursue that which is worldly, you are in conflict with God's divine nature, and you will not find it. Right? So, we have a choice. But take courage because the answer, the correct answer to that choice is embedded in the passage that we're reading, right? Do not conform to the patterns of this world. Do not conform to the patterns of this world. That's a negative imperative. That's what we ought not to do, right? We are not to pursue what this world has to offer, So what are the patterns of this world if we're not to pursue it? We need to know what we need to be on the lookout for, right? Well, the patterns of this world could be values, influences, ways of thinking. Um, They take on many different forms. In 1 John 2, verse 15 to 16, we read, Do not love the world or anything in the world. For if anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So here the Bible is kind of giving us what those worldly pursuits are, that we're supposed to stay away from. In Three categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. So the worldly patterns that we're not to pursue can take on different forms and can tempt us in different ways depending on who we are and what we put value in. Uh, for some, it's a profession. For others, it's a social group. It could be a habit. It could be an addiction. It could be a pursuit of money. For me, it was pride. So, as I said earlier, at the age of five, I started to um, ask this question of myself, of who am I? Right? And when I was in elementary school, really through high school, the question of who am I, the question of identity, you know, uh, was pretty fairly easy to answer because my 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 the questions about who I am I my identity, revolved around how I spoke, how I dressed, how I filled my free time, what cre- recreational activities um, I did. Those were the concerns as a child for me, right? But even those simple consequences, which in seem inconsequential, had had consequences to them. Because as I learned and became more proficient in the English language, I used my my Spanish less and became less proficient. As a consequence, I communicated less with my parents, who were Spanish speakers. As I assimilated to the culture around me, I appreciated less the Mexican culture in which I was raised. And if I'm being honest with you, not only did I appreciate it less, I became embarrassed of it. I became embarrassed of my father and my mother because they represented the old, the old world. And I was pursuing the new, the new what's around me, right? So my father, who I loved and adored just a few years ago, I now was ashamed of and wanted nothing to do with them to the point where I became estranged from my parents, mostly my father. Now, we still spoke, but certainly my love for him my adoration for him, my pride of him, for him, was not what it used to be, right? So for me, it was, it, it, it was uh, pride. Um, and so fast forward to high school. I graduated. I started my first day of college. One of the very first courses that I took in college was Introduction to Philosophy, right? I remember the class very, very well because it was at Santa Barbara City College with Joe White, sitting in that auditorium with about 200 other students, what do you think the first question he challenged us with was? Who are you? Right? A variation of who am I? Boom, it hit me right in the face. Who are you? The same question that 15 years ago, 14 years ago, because I was held back in kindergarten until I was 19, right? I was contemplating. And Joe White asked the question within the context of two worldviews. Who are you? Are you in a worldview of or with a God or are you of a worldview without a God? Who are you? And I was like, whoa, this question has much severe more much more con- severe consequences than the other questions I was answering, but still relating to my identity. Up to that point, right, I was a Roman Catholic. Again, growing up uh, Mexican, we were Roman Catholics. I was baptized, uh, went to catechism, had my first Holy Communion confirmation. I knew God. I, I acknowledged and recognized the deity, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit. There was no question for me that we were living in a God, in a world with a God, up to that point. We never talked about whether there was or wasn't a God when I was a kid with my friends. We talked about skateboarding, and those are some cool off-the-wall vans, right? Never did we get into religion or theological talks. And so that, that question of, am I of a worldview without a God, didn't even enter my mind until that point. And so now I'm being presented with that same question, who are you? And I'm given two options again. Worldview with a God or a worldview without a God. And what did I do? I went world view without a God. Because it was new to me. I didn't know. I wasn't prepared to answer that question at that stage in my life. At best, I didn't deny God, but certainly I questioned his existence. And so I delved into academia. I studied philosophy, ethics, morality, nihilism, relativism. I went to Cambridge, England. I applied to the best universities as I could, and that's what I threw myself in. And so that was my worldly pursuit, academics, try to better myself. And the result, the consequences, complete period of darkness in my life. I adopted values, I adopted principles, ways of living that were dark. And I had habits that I'm ashamed of today. So those were, that was the consequence of choosing that worldview and pursuing those. So conforming to the patterns of this world is to act like this world, to act like those in this world. Our world is it's transitory. It's change. It's changeable. Right? It's unstable. Therefore, if we adopt the ways of this world, we too become transitory, changeable, and unstable. So what's the alternative? Well, just like the, this verse tells us we ought not to conform to this world, we are to be transformed by the renewing of the mind. Not only is this an alternative, right? it's a positive command. That's what we should be doing. It's an authoritative imperative. God is telling us, commanding us, that's what we should do. Okay, so if God is telling us that we should be transformed, what does it mean to be transformed? Well, the Cambridge Dictionary defines transformation as a complete change in appearance of character or something, of something or someone. So a complete change in appearance or character of something or someone. This is the part that I like. Especially so that that thing or person is improved. Right? So transformation is a radical change that makes me better. That is what God is calling us to do. So... Transformation is much more than just behavioral modification, right? It is being changed in character, becoming anew. So if we're called, if we're given this choice of conforming to this world or transforming by the renew of our own mind, and, transforma- and we're being commanded to transform, transformation is undergoing a process of radical change. How do, we, how do we get there? How do we transform ourselves? Or better, how do we transform ourselves? Um, and I would suggest, this is, this is my suggestion, that in order for us to be transformed, we, two of mankind's basic needs must be met. The two basic needs are the need for forgiveness and the need to know how to love. Because in forgiveness, we achieve salvation in eternal life. And as Rand t- uh, told us on July 8th, on the indwelling of the Spirit, when we are forgiven and we are saved and we're given eternal life, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And in the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, we are regenerated. We are reborn. Right? So that's what forgiveness it helps us to achieve. But before I can get there, I must accept the total depravity of who I am as a temporal human, right? As Joe mentioned in his, his talk when he talked about the, the Trinity, right? The Holy Spirit is relational. And for us, in order to be indwelled by the Holy Spirit, for, for, us to be, had to, for the Holy Spirit to be taking permanent uh, residency in us, we must acknowledge and accept our depravity. That's the first step we must do. And First John 1, verse 8 1 John 1, 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not with us. So anything short of accepting our sinful nature and depravity as man is delusion. Right? And if I do accept it, how do I achieve forgiveness? Well, my own pursuits of these worldly things is what got me here in the first place. Right? So I myself cannot achieve forgiveness or forgive myself has to come from something outside of this this temporal world. In Romans 8, 7, it says, The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Again, just reiterating the point that we ourselves cannot remove the sinful nature within us. So, if we can't do it, how do we achieve forgiveness? Well, that is the gift of God. God's mercy and grace, through his mercy and grace, we achieve forgiveness by his son, Jesus Christ. Right? So the only option for forgiveness is for me to put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior who atoned for my sins. And of course, we all know John 3.16, for God for God so loved the world that he gave his, only, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have the eternal life. So the first basic need of forgiveness is achieved through Jesus Christ. And through accepting Jesus Christ, we achieve forgiveness, we are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and we are regenerated or reborn. And so the transformation, again, begins with accepting my depravity, accepting Jesus Christ, being indwelled by the Holy Spirit. This, this, this reborn is confirmed in 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new generation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. So we are a new creature, not of flesh, but of the Spirit. And it's through this regeneration of us, this being reborn, that the true divine nature of God is revealed to us. Because up to this point, we are closed to the spiritual realm that is God, where he he dwells. And so it's through this being reborn that we achieve the ability to see God's true divine nature and his perfect will for us. In John 3, 6, we read flesh gives birth to flesh but the spirit gives birth to spirit so in our regeneration or being reborn our heart is transformed to be able to accept the spiritual and that's you know where we will begin to see the true nature of god second corinthians 3:15 to 7 even to this day when moses is read A veil covers our hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit is, there is freedom. So in accepting God, being regenerated, the veil of darkness is removed from us. Our our heart of stone is made the Spirit. And we're able to accept and see God's true nature. We're able to appreciate it, love it, desire it, pursue it. But we have to elect to go there. right? We have to make the election. Once we make that election to go there, once we make that choice, then God frees us of that burden and the transforming nature of the Holy Spirit takes over. So if you look at Romans 12.2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's in the passive voice. Meaning, God isn't telling us to transform ourselves. He's not saying, transform yourselves. He's saying, be transformed. Right? So it's not something that we do. Uh, the New Living Translation illustrates this a little bit better. In the New, the, the New Living Translation, it says, in Roman, this is Romans 12:2, Do not copy behavior and customs of this world. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. So, here again, Paul is, is here in this verse, Paul is telling us by using the passive voice that there is not enough spiritual good things that I can do to transform myself. There's not enough work that I can do to transform myself. It is the Holy Spirit who's working in me that is transforming my nature to to receive that which is God's mercy and grace. Right? So, if we are called to be transformed and transformation is the complete, you know, radical change of our heart and our being, what is the goal of transformation. Um, and I would say that the goal of transformation is revealed to us in 2 Corinthians three eighteen. Second Corinthians three eighteen. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image, with ever increasing glory which comes from the Lord. Who is the Spirit? So, and we all who, with unveiled faces, contemplate the Lord's glory, who are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord. Who is Spirit? Who is the Spirit? So, here Paul in 2 Corinthians 3:18 tells us that the goal of transformation is to become like Christ, to be like Christ, to be in His image. Recall that with the Holy Spirit comes rebirth. And that rebirth is a spiritual rebirth, right? So John 3.16, going back to that verse. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. So in regeneration comes a radical change of our hearts that prepares us to receive the spiritual nature of God, the divine nature of God. Right? And so when we read 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled faces, we all with unveiled faces, referencing the regeneration, the removal of that, that dark veil of darkness, contemplate the Lord's glory with that new set of eyes, right? that enhanced you know, perception. We are, able to, we are now able to fully contemplate the glory of God. To what extent? So that we may be transformed in His image. We may be transformed in His image with ever-increasing glory. So while the regeneration of our heart and our mind is immediate, we, we accept our Lord as our Savior who atoned for our sins. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are regenerated. That's immediate. But that doesn't mean that we fully understand and accept the glory of God and His perfect will for us, right? Whenever I refer to my baptism, I always refer to that as the starting point of my salvation because when I brought my head up from under the the water, yes, I was saved, and I know eternal, I I will enter God's eternal kingdom, but boy, I still had bitterness in me. I still had hate in me. Right? I still had jealousy and envy. All those things weren't removed. And that's because those things were still part of me. How do I get rid of them? Well, it's through the Holy Spirit and turning myself over to the Holy Spirit so that as the veil of darkness is removed, I'm able to desire, pursue God's goodness and, and accept his will for me. So if we're called to transform to be the image of God, right, that's a pretty big task in front of us. What is the image of God? Well, it's, it's indefinable. Right? God's, the glory of God is infinitely beautiful, infinitely great, manifold perfections. And there are certain aspects of God's attributes that we will never possess. So I'm not being blasphemous here. I'm not saying we will, we will achieve omniscience omnipresence, omnipotence. I'm not saying we're going to be in likeness in those areas. But certainly there are other attributes of God's perfection that we can achieve harmony with. What are those other attributes? What are the attributes of wisdom, of mercy, of grace, his loving nature, God's love, it is because of God's love that we, we receive this gift of transformation. It's because of God's love that we receive this gift of forgiveness. And so that's why I say that the second basic element that we need, to, uh, we need fulfilled is love. After forgiveness, we need to know how to love like God loved. We are commanded to love. Why? Because God is love. And so if we are to be in his image... We must know how to love like he does. 1 John 4, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not know love does not know God, because God is love. Further, in Galatians 5, we read that, For in Christ, Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, has any value. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So, how do we achieve transformation? Well, I humbly suggest that it's through meeting two basic needs of humankind. Forgiveness achieved through by the cross, Jesus Christ, and knowing how to love, achieved through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. But we must make that election. We must choose to go down that route. And so it is through love that we are acceptable living sacrifices to God. So, in conclusion, I'm not sure um, where I am in time, but hopefully the band will show up in a few minutes. In conclusion, I am going to go back to where I started, to that question of, who am I? Right. And to tell you the truth, just like I struggled with that question as a five-year-old, and just like I struggled with that question as a first-year college student, I struggle that question with that question now, knowing God's glory. Right? The best answer I can come with, why? Because I need to verbalize who I am within God's glory. How do you do that? So the best that I can come up with is I am a living sacrifice to God. Or better yet, I am striving to be a living sacrifice to God. And what do I mean by a living sacrifice? I mean by not conforming to the patterns of this world, but surrendering myself totally and completely to the power of the Holy Spirit. And in doing so, throwing myself to the devotion of God, throwing myself to knowing the Bible and the law and what God requires me as someone who professes to love Him and want to know Him, so that in studying Him, in meditating on Him, in hearing His Word, I am led to love everyone around me, to love like God loved me, to transform me, and I become a disciple of God. And I serve God lovingly, regardless of how I feel about that individual. Remember, when I said I was baptized, I still had, I still had bitterness and hate and jealousy. Love needs to replace all those feelings. And in doing so, I will, my mind will understand the totality of God and his divinity. And I will come to the realization of God's infinite goodness and his greatness. And I will come to the conclusion that God is deserving and of unblemished sacrifice. And in that knowledge and in humility, I will recognize that I am so far from an unblemished sacrifice. That I am unholy, I am depraved, I am sinful. And in that state of self-loathing, of dejection, of loneliness, the Holy Spirit works its power to transform my mind, to reawaken me and free me to understand that, despite all that, God loves me and He willingly accepts me as his child and allows me to enter his kingdom. And so that's why I say, if you ask me who I am, I'm striving to be a living sacrifice to God. Am I I there yet? I don't think so, but I am making that election. I am putting myself out there for a God. And if I put myself out there for a God, how can I go wrong? So with that, let's pray.